This is episode number 49 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. The corporate media, of course, has been compromised and co-opted. We here at the Individual One Podcast most definitely have not been. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's Individual, the number one pod. I hope you've been following the uh, series that I've been writing over the last several days for Mediate, where I'm a senior columnist. Part seven of this eight-part series came out today, Sunday, here in Los Angeles, California, the United States of America. So you can check out all seven parts if you go uh, to either the Individual One Pod uh, podcast uh, Twitter feed or my own Twitter feed at Zygmunt Freud. Uh, this will, feature will end tomorrow, the eight-part series on Monday. And it's basically the history of the decline of the mainstream news media in this country and the rise of President Trump and how those two things are directly connected. And the response to it uh, thus far has been very good. And I think you'll find it to be uh, particularly interesting and very I think relevant to a lot of the news of the last couple of weeks, which we'll get to most of which uh, as much as possible in this particular hour of the podcast. I want to begin with something that I alluded to, although rather cryptically, in episode number 48 of the podcast. If you listen to the episode number 48, I talked about the potential contenders to run against Donald Trump in the GOP primary for president in the year of 2020. And uh, one of the names that I mentioned was Joe Walsh. And at the time, I told you that I was very conflicted about the situation because I did not know what I could talk about and what I could not talk about. I mentioned Walsh among the names, I think, of about four or five uh, people who were being discussed in a Washington Post article. And I told you that I had spoken to one particular person, and I was sure that very, very soon they were going to announce their candidacy to run against Trump as a Republican. Well, I did not tell you at the time because I was not uh, allowed to, I was not given permission to, that the person I was referring to was indeed Joe Walsh. And uh, not to my surprise at all, nor should it have been to your surprise, because I don't tell you things that aren't true, and I make promises that I know uh, are not accurate or can't be kept. Uh, Joe Walsh officially announced today on Sunday on uh, the This Week program with George Stephanopoulos on ABC that he is, in fact, running uh, for the Republican nomination for president against Donald Trump. Now, let me just... uh, provide as much disclosure as I can, and this will explain why I still can't get into all the details as much as I would like to. But uh, here's what I'll say. Joe and I have talked about this possibility for a couple of months. Uh, We had some very productive and very in-depth conversations. Uh, I believe that Joe uh, respects my opinion, and I 
like him as a person. He's been on this show before. I've had nothing but good interactions with him. We seem to see eye to eye on a lot of things, especially about Donald Trump. He sought out my advice and counsel. I gave it to him. At one point, actually two different points, we discussed in pretty good detail the possibility of me working on his campaign. And then about four or five days ago, uh, we kind of hit the pause button. Both of us did. I think I was the one that hit the pause button on uh, that possibility uh, for reasons that I can't get into now. I'll just say that they were personally painful. (laughs) This whole process has been very personally painful and disappointing, Uh, although I I don't currently blame uh, Joe Walsh for that, and I don't want to get more into it, at least until I have the opportunity to speak to Joe, because once I hit the pause button, he and I have not communicated. Uh, I anticipate, although you never know for sure, that I, I will talk to him at some time uh, soon, love to get him back on the podcast to talk about uh, his run. Um, but I, I will say that I am uh, very supportive uh, of someone running against Donald Trump, and that if he's going to be the guy to do it, I wish him all the best. And I told him that I, I hope that uh, he kicks as much ass as is humanly possible here, because from a historical and principled standpoint, it's incredibly important that someone does so. So there's a lot more that I'd love to tell you uh, about my interactions. Um, but I just can't right now, and when I can, I will. So with that uh, disclaimer, let me just go into Walsh's announcement. Uh, here is the, the web video that Walsh created, which I had nothing to do with, and I definitely did not like the, the uh, audio distortion on this. Uh, but Joe, as I said, I was no longer speaking with Joe on a regular basis when this video was created. Uh, but this is the web video that Joe Walsh made announcing uh, his run for the Republican presidential nomination. When I first started thinking about running for president, talking to my family, close friends, people I trust. I started hearing about all the things I needed to do to test the waters, start an exploratory committee, hire a speechwriter, get an image consultant, all the, the practical steps that conventional candidates take. But these are not conventional times. These are urgent times. Let's be real. These are scary times. So the hell with all those conventional things. Today I'm declaring my candidacy for President of the United States because it's time, it's time to be brave. We have someone in the White House who we all know is unfit. Someone who lies virtually every time he opens his mouth. And someone who places his own interest above the nation's interest at every single turn. We cannot afford four more years of Donald Trump. No way. What cannot wait is all of us having the courage to finally say publicly what we all know privately. We're tired. We're tired of a president waking up every morning and tweeting ugly insults at ordinary Americans. We're tired of a president who sides with Putin against our own intelligence community. We're tired of a president who thinks he's above the law. We're tired of a president who's tweeting this country into a recession, and we're tired. We're so damn tired of a president who is teaching millions of American children every day that it's okay to lie and it's okay to be a bully. Enough. My name is Joe Walsh. I'm a former Republican congressman. I'm a conservative, 
I'm running because Donald Trump is not who we are. In fact, he's the worst of who we are. Sure, Trump and his people are going to attack us. That's going to happen. It won't be easy. But you know, bravery is never easy. So let's make a statement. Go to JoeWalsh.org. Tell the world that you're ready to be brave. There are a lot of themes in there that I think are great and I totally agree with, and some of which I actually uh, urged Joe to focus on. I have no idea whether that had anything to do with why uh, he went in the direction that he did. There's a couple of things that are missing that I would have liked to have seen in there. Like, for instance, uh, one of the things that uh, he and I talked a lot about was this issue of the monarchy and king and trump becoming a king how about that freudian slip <laughs> trump becoming a king which is something we can all relate to and and he has used in the past the emperor has no clothes uh, metaphor which i used in the last episode of the individual one podcast and to me uh, preventing trump from being a king is a really important element of this and that i have not seen at least in uh, the announcement so far. Uh, He also doesn't seem to have a slogan yet. Um, For the record, I had suggested to him, and he seemed to like at the time, that his his slogan ought to be, America is greater than this. In other words, playing off of Donald Trump's Make America Great Again, uh, Joe Walsh's uh, slogan, in my mind, should be, America is greater than than this kind of a little bit of of an offshoot of the clip that we play on this program we're better than that now uh he he did use that phrase uh, or at least an offshoot of that phrase uh in some of his announcement materials i think it might even have been in the web announcement we just played for you but uh and i don't know whether or not he's going to have a slogan or not but if he did that would be my suggestion (laughs) my suggestion would be america is greater than this because uh, it plays off of, uh, obviously, Trump's Make, a, Make America Great Again. Then uh, Walsh, uh, and I think this was a smart move, uh, went on this week with George Stephanopoulos to officially announce you get basically one bite of the media apple. This is the stupid way in which the media works. They want the exclusive, right? So, so he gets the opportunity to offer his exclusive announcement to one major media outlet. Now... <laughs> If he wants to, and I'm, I'm sure this is he understood this, uh, if he wants to make the most headway in a Republican primary, you go on Fox News Channel. Except Fox News Channel was never going to allow him to do this. And in fact, I, you know, I've been watching Fox News Channel all day, but I, I have not seen, in the little I have seen of Fox News Channel, even one mention that Joe Walsh has announced for president. And so, of course, they were never going to accept this. I mean, even Chris Wallace's show, which is, still has a semblance of a soul, uh, you know, we, we would have been a good place for, for Walsh to announce, uh, but I don't believe that that was an option. So he went with the mainstream news media, which in the old world would have been a great place to go, right? This week with George Stephanopoulos used to have a massive audience back in the days of David Brinkley. It still has a very large audience, but it's not an audience of Republican primary voters. Again, this is not a criticism of Joe. This is just the the circumstances that we face here. This is the bizarreness of the world in, in which we live. And so even though he went to the largest media outlet you can get on, on a Sunday morning, 
I, I'm not sure how much impact it really has with the people he has to appeal to. In fact, it might even have a negative impact because of the of the view of the mainstream news media is being so negative among Republican primary voters, especially those who are fans of Donald Trump. But here was Joe Walsh uh, going on this week with George Stephanopoulos to officially announce and to explain uh, the the basis of his candidacy. Hey, George, good to be with you. Have you reached a decision? Yes, and it's great to be with you. Um, I'm going to run for president, and, and I'm happy to be on your show announcing my candidacy. George, no surprise, we've got a guy in the White House who's unfit, completely unfit, uh, to be president. And it stuns me that nobody stepped up, nobody in the Republican Party stepped up, because I'll tell you what, George, Everybody believes in the Republican Party. Everybody believes that he's unfit. He lies every time he opens his mouth. You say that. You say everybody believes he's unfit. But one of the things the White House points to and the president points to often is just about every poll shows more than 80 percent support for the president among Republicans. They don't have an alternative. I'll tell you what, George. And look, I'm running because he's unfit. Somebody needs to step up and there needs to be an alternative. And I agree with that basic premise that the man is completely unfit to be president. Correct. And that somebody needs to stand up. And Joe understands that in a perfect world, he wouldn't be the guy to do this. I mean, he's a one-term congressman who's currently a radio talk show host for the Salem Network, a network I'm very familiar with, although I'm sure that that will not be the case by Monday. Uh, I mean, I'm not even sure he can, he's allowed to uh, still be a talk show host on Monday now that he's announced. So he's giving up his radio show. And that alone ought to uh, provide people with a reason to take him seriously. I mean, the narrative that he is trying to create here is, I'm going to give up my radio show in order to do what I think is right. I told him <laughs> that long term, I don't know how that's going to work out. Uh, because I don't necessarily believe in this world that somehow we're going to go back to where we were before Trump. In a logical world, Trump loses in 2020, maybe very badly, and those who stood up against him will be rewarded. I don't believe that that's what's going to happen. Correct. Uh, I believe that the Republican Party has now become a cult, and that a cult is never going to admit that they were wrong. They're going to just claim that they were wronged. And, you know, the election was rigged or it was unfair. It was the media. And anybody who was against Trump wasn't enough of a fighter. You basically proved that you weren't willing to fight the libs as hard as we were. And so, therefore, you you don't get to come back into the fold. Now, there might be some places where that's not the case. But by and large, I think that's what's going to happen here. And so, um, you know, I, I salute Joe for his bravery. Uh, and that's part of his slogan. If he has a slogan, it's be brave. And so I, I think that's a, a pretty decent one. I don't know whether or not counting on people's bravery is a good, <laughs> it's a good bet because based upon my experience, there are very, very, very few people that are brave, especially in the realm of politics uh, in this day and age. So that, that might not be a winning proposition, but I understand uh, where he's coming from on it. But I'll tell you who's not brave. I mean, I'll call out one name in particular, John Kasich. How the hell does John Kasich, who feels exactly the same way as as Joe articulated 
most Republicans of, uh, who have held office privately believe about Donald Trump, and that's a fact what Joe said there. He absolutely knows that Trump is unfit. He absolutely has disdain for him. He ran against him in 2016. He's a former governor of Ohio. He doesn't currently have a gig. He won a, 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 the Ohio primary in 2016. He won some delegates. He has name recognition. He has the ability to, to uh, raise enough money. And he apparently is not going to run. Now, you know, the reason he's not going to run is because he knows he will lose. And he's too much of a coward to do what's good for the country. But a person like Kasich would make a Republican primary a pure referendum on Donald Trump. All right, Republicans, last call, up or down on Trump. This is your last chance. This is the last opportunity we have here to reverse course. It might already be too late, but this is clearly the last chance here to repudiate what you have done here. And it's a straight up or down. With Joe, it's more complicated because Joe is not a household name. He wasn't the governor of Ohio. You can't make the argument that Kasich, I mean, I'm sorry, that Walsh would necessarily be a sure bet or a good bet to beat a Joe Biden or even an Elizabeth Warren because of the lack of name recognition and because of the nature of his history. With Kasich, you could at least make the argument, Kasich goes eye-to-eye immediately with Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren. I think Kasich beats Elizabeth Warren pretty easily. And I'm not sure I can say that about Donald Trump right now, especially if the economy goes south. So I have disdain for the cowardice that I perceive currently with regard to John Kasich. I mean, Mitt Romney's another one. I mean, Mitt Romney at least did it once, so he has that argument that he was the nominee already and it didn't work out, and now he's a senator, so he, you know, he's going to do what the people of Utah elected him to do. I get that. But uh, Kasich doesn't have those excuses. And so I applaud Joe for at least having the bravery where other people have, uh, have not. Here's going to be Joe's biggest problem in the short run. And I have not told him this. I don't even know if I will text him or not. I don't know if I want to get back involved in this. But if I did have a conversation with Joe uh, in the next uh, 24, 48 hours, what I would say to him is, look, um, from a media perspective, the launch went about as well as you could have hoped for from the mainstream media perspective. But the next step is going to be this. Um, There's going to be somebody who polls this race nationally. Uh, maybe multiple polling outlets that polls this race nationally. And they're going to poll Trump versus Joe Walsh. And nationally, you're going to get annihilated. And the numbers are going to be brutal. Now, I don't know exactly what the numbers are going to be. My guess is, depending on how they word the question and how easy it is for people to say they're undecided, I mean, the best shot uh, of it not being uh, horrific would be if, if, you know, 20 or 30 percent said they're not sure because they don't know enough about Joe Walsh. But if they ask for a straight up or down on Donald Trump and Joe Walsh because of a lack of name recognition, I would would be shocked if Trump wasn't leading by at least 65, 70 points. And when that happens, then all of a sudden the media faucet turns off because then they go, well, wait a minute, this is you know, we gave you your bite of the apple. It didn't work. There's no there's no audience for this. Uh, you have no shot at winning the nomination. And now you have to earn everything. Now, you know, and, and there's not going to be, you know, tens and 
or hundreds, certainly not hundreds of millions of dollars behind this effort. I know there's going to be some money, but nowhere near enough to be able to buy your own media nationally. Uh, and so if I was Joe, you know, I need to at least prepare expectations for people who are willing to support me as well as impact the expectations of the media and say, look, we know this is going to happen. This isn't a national race. This is a state race. This is about the people of Iowa and New Hampshire, Republicans in Iowa and New Hampshire, who take this kind of thing much more seriously than the rest of the nation does, having one last opportunity to say, hold on, is this really what we're going to do? Are we really going to go down this path with Donald Trump one more time? Uh, And I don't know whether or not you know, you can get more respectable polling results that way. But that, to me, is what you got to do to be able to combat what's going to be a potentially devastating next development in this news cycle, because that's just the nature of the Republican Party. 80% approval ratings for Donald Trump, and Joe Walsh does not have even close to 80% uh, even name recognition. And and frankly, I don't know how much his name recognition has really increased. See, that's the other part about the way the media has changed. We're in this world where we think if you go on national TV, uh, that all of a sudden you have greater name recognition. That's not the, the case anymore. I mean, Joe's gotten an enormous amount of publicity over the last uh, 10 days. But it's been in mainstream news media outlets where Republican voters aren't paying attention to that. And so his name recognition among the national Republican electorate is not going to be that great. And so that, to me, is going to be the the first major challenge, assuming that someone does, in fact, do a uh, national poll, as I anticipate they will, over the next uh, week or 10 days. All right. Now back to to Trump in particular. Uh, It is possible that Friday... Uh, was Trump's craziest day yet as president, certainly on Twitter, and maybe his most destructive day yet on Twitter. Um, Now, that's really saying something, because two weeks ago I said he'd never done anything worse on Twitter than accusing Bill Clinton of uh, committing a murder of Jeffrey Epstein while Epstein was under the care of Trump's own Department of Justice. I mean, I thought that was pretty bad. Correct. I mean, I I honestly didn't think there was going to be anything that could be worse than that. At least not in the foreseeable future. But, uh, But Trump was able to do so. And he was able to do so in a way that costs a lot of money to a lot of people, including a lot of his own supporters, specifically in the stock market. And we might not have seen anything yet. On Friday, among other things, here's what basically happened. The Fed chairman, Chairman Powell, who, by the way, it's important to point out, was chosen by Donald Trump. Correct. Right. So this is his guy. Only hires the very best people, right? Powell makes a statement that was pretty positive about the economy. Except he indicated that these tariffs might be a problem, that Trump's tariffs might be a problem. Well, um, Trump has a meltdown on Twitter. And and essentially, uh, not essentially, directly, directly compares and and condemns Chairman Powell with the leader of China. He says he's not sure which is more un-American or more more of an enemy of America than who, whether it's Powell or whether or not it's it's the, the leader of China. Now, this is a president of the United States. 
And he's condemning his own Fed chairman after the Fed chairman has already said the economy is in decent shape, but we got to worry about these tariffs. And here he is. I mean, you just you cannot make this up. I mean, really, people, you just cannot make this up. You cannot be serious. But but this is this is how this starts. So when he does this, the market starts to tank. The stock market starts to tank hundreds of points. And then China announces, and I can't remember the exact timeline here, but at some point in here, China announces that they are increasing and, and, uh, and facilitating more quickly the tariffs against the United States. So Trump decides he needs to retaliate. And he announces later on in the day that he is also increasing the tariffs. And forget about, you know, remember when he was worried about the Christmas shopping season? He's, he, that's gone now. He's now moving the tariffs up. And he's in a full-blown uh, trade war with China. And uh, all of this causes the, and, oh, this had already occurred, the stock market collapses 500 points, up to 600 points. And, and it really got totally surreal and, frankly, scary when the president started joking about the stock market collapse that he facilitated had occurred because, ha, ha, he, he, and one of the Democratic presidential candidates that no one ever bothered to, to ever even realize was running had dropped out of the race. And that Trump was joking on Twitter, hi, I see the stock market has gone down 500 points. It must have been because so-and-so dropped out of the, the Democratic race. How will we ever recover? That was a joke. He's joking about billions of dollars in market value being lost from the stock market. He's joking about it. It would be bad enough if he was a freaking talk show host. He's the president of the United States. Correct. And he's the reason why the market collapsed. Correct. I mean, you can you literally cannot make this up. And, and part of it is funny. Part of it, I guess, might be entertaining, especially if you don't have money in the stock market. But if you do... You lost a lot of money on Friday. You might lose even more on Monday because of the decisions that Trump made after the market closed by escalating the trade war with China. And this is all mind-blowing. It's all, and you would think that a guy going into re-election would be more concerned about driving his economy into a recession, which a lot of people think is quite possible, uh, based upon where these tariffs are going, when you've bragged about the stock market being one of your great accomplishments, even though he's had nothing to do with the uh, increase in the stock market during his term, and in fact, percentage-wise, uh, the increases are much less during his term than they were during Barack Obama's eight years as president. When you bragged about it, you would think that you might be held accountable for when it goes down, especially when it's your actions causing it to go down. Yet this, none of this seems to have any impact on Trump. And, and some people think this is an evidence that he's losing his mind, that you know, we need the 25th Amendment, He's just lost it. He's he's completely nuts. Correct. I, I don't know, because his verbiage doesn't seem to have changed. His he seems like the same person to me. 
I am very hesitant to go down the path of he's mentally incapable of being president. I mean, he's he's a nut. He's not very bright. He's a narcissist. He's got all sorts of personality disorder disorders. But is he insane? I, I don't see evidence of that. I would need a lot of evidence to to come to that conclusion. What might be even scarier is I'm not sure he gives a shit. That's the part that scares me the most. Maybe he just doesn't give a shit, or even worse, maybe he gives a shit about things that have nothing to do with what's best for the country. And in fact, he has he gives a shit because he's actually benefiting from interest rate manipulation, which he is lobbied Chairman Powell to reduce interest rates in a way that would save his company millions of millions of dollars in loans that he took out just before he was president of the United States. Or maybe, and again, I I underline, I've referenced this in the last episode of the podcast because it's purely a theory, but it's amazing to me that this theory has not been talked about at all. Maybe he's manipulating the stock market for whatever unknown purpose, whether it's to help friends or family members, or even potentially indirectly himself. Who knows what it is? People have said to me, well, John, how does it help when he makes the market go down? Are you kidding? This is the perfect vehicle. The tariff issue is the perfect vehicle for market manipulation because everybody knows the market hates the tariffs. And so, therefore, every time he goes pro-tariff, the market goes down significantly. Every time he indicates he's going to back off the tariffs, the market goes up. It's not even, you know, my, my seven-year-old daughter could figure this out. And so, therefore, all you need to know to make a boatload of money is which direction is the wind blowing in Trump's mind on that day? Is he pro-tariff or anti-tariff? And if you know which way the wind is blowing before it publicly gets known, guess what? If, especially if you're a day trader, you've made a boatload of money. A boatload of money. Now, again, that, is, that doesn't make it true. That doesn't mean it's happening. But my God, based upon this guy's value system, his narcissism, his greed, his lack of pr- principle, his lack of honesty, I mean, it is the, the idea that he is able to resist the temptation of taking advantage of maybe the most powerful tool he has as a president with regard to economics, and that is manipulating the stock market with this tariff talk, it is mind-blowing to me that people are not taking more seriously the idea that he's doing this as part of some sort of a scheme or, or for some sort of an ulterior motive. He's clearly not doing it in the best interest of the country. And, and it doesn't appear as if it's going to get any better. There was a little bit of hope at the G7 conference this weekend. There was a little bit of hope because it appeared that once again, Trump was going to do what he always does. Back down. This, thing, this is his M.O. Create a crisis. Make things worse. And then eventually back down, claim victory, and things go basically back the way they were before the crisis started. His cult loves this because, you know, his cult's a bunch of morons. I love the poorly educated. And they, for, you know, they have very short attention spans, and they don't understand the way the world actually works. So, But we've seen this numerous times where he creates the chaos and then allows things to go back to where they were and claims victory. There's a big difference in this one, though. 
Huge difference. And I think he may have bit off more than he can chew, assuming this is even his motivation uh, or this is even his, his, his game plan. He's dealing with the Chinese now. He's not, he doesn't have full control over this situation. And the Chinese aren't playing a short game. They're playing a long game. They don't have to worry about elections next year. They don't give a shit about how much pain their people may suffer in a trade war in the short run. They are in this for the long run. And I believe that Trump may have miscalculated what he was dealing with here. Again, assuming best case scenario that he actually just is mistaken about a trade war being a good idea or somehow thought he could get out of this without major pain and he could you know make his point maybe cut a good deal like he claimed during the 2016 election almost every day he was going to do rip up the trade deals with china and they're taking advantage of us and i'm a great negotiator i can do what no one else can do that was all bullshit well now we're seeing it because china is playing by a different set of rules and trump doesn't have total control he can't go back to the way things were But it looked like he was going to try to do that because it appeared as if he was backing down to the G7, at least allowing for the possibility of some sort of a resolution to this. Well, of course, then it appears as if his ego got all bruised because of some comments he made that indicated he was backing down and how they got perceived. Here's how ABC and George Stephanopoulos and John Carl reported on this circumstance and comments that Trump made uh, at the G7 summit. He has been making a lot of news this morning, including something that seemed to surprise a lot of people when he was asked if he had any second thoughts about the trade war with China. Here's what he said. Any second thoughts on escalating the trade war with China? Yeah, for sure. Why not? Second thoughts? Might as yeah. well. Might as well. You have second thoughts about escalating the war with China? I have second thoughts about everything. Now, actually, the president rarely admits his second thoughts about anything, so that's why this surprised so many people. But already, the White House backtracking? Yeah, this is something else. First of all, George, it's important to say even before he got to that, it seemed like he was backing down. Uh, He talked about how he hopes to get a deal uh, with the Chinese, that he believes the Chinese want to do that even more than he does. Uh, He said he wasn't going to go forward with this idea of declaring a national emergency. So it seemed like he was trying to de-escalate. But after uh, those comments about second thoughts, the press secretary and communications director uh, for the White House, Stephanie Grisham, put out a statement, and I want to read it to you, George. It said... uh, Um, The president was asked if he had any second thought on escalating the trade war with China. His answer has been greatly misinterpreted. President Trump responded in the affirmative because he regrets not raising the tariffs higher. So while it looked like the president was trying to cool things down uh, with the Chinese, we now have a statement coming out uh, effectively throwing more gasoline on the fire. So a week of zigs and zags has one more zig. So now we're probably in a worse situation than we were at the beginning. Because now Trump is trapped by his own ego. And the Chinese are not going to let him out of this. See, that's the thing that I think is most dangerous. If you are in a negotiation with a, a, uh, a rational other party, uh, and they might try to take advantage of your vulnerability, uh, but they would cut a deal. Right, And it wouldn't be a horrendous deal, and you could save face. Now, the Chinese do understand about culturally saving face. But I'm not sure that they have much incentive here to allow Trump to save face. And Trump's ego now is so invested in this issue 
and again, I do think there are possible ulterior motives that the media is not fully uh, understanding or, or at least contemplating that might be at work here. I don't know how this gets solved in a way that is remotely good for anybody or remotely good for the economy or the stock market. And I'm not an economic expert enough to know we're headed for a recession. I know a lot of smart people think that we are. That doesn't mean we're going that way. There's also been some pretty darn good data that show that we don't need to be going into the recession, that it would be the tariffs that would be driving us there if it happens. You would think someone running for re-election would therefore be very hesitant to go down that path. Correct. But either Trump has lost his mind, he's not that smart, or maybe he doesn't give a shit. I don't know. It's one of those. None of them are good. We're in very serious territory here. And uh, I believe we're now facing a possible recession. And if that occurs, not only does Trump lose, the Republican Party gets wiped out in the 2020 elections. And now there's nothing to stop uh, socialism. Of course, we might already have socialism because I didn't even mention the most outrageous thing that Trump did on Twitter on Friday, which was declaring, declaring, literally saying, I hereby order, I hereby order Correct. American companies to stop doing business with China. I hereby order American businesses from stop doing business or American businesses to stop doing business with China. Now, if Barack Obama or Elizabeth Warren or any other Democrat ever even suggested such a thing, even in an offhand comment, even in a joke, the right-wing media would go bananas. Correct. That's all they would talk about. It would be 24-7 Fox News alert. Uh, This would be a national crisis. Mark Levin's head would explode. The the whole thing would be, I mean, I hereby order American companies to stop doing business with China. And then it got even worse, because late that night, because it was negative reaction, to, to that absurd statement. Uh, I hereby order actually trended number one on Twitter for quite a while that day. Trump actually doubled down, saying that he had the legal authority to order American companies to stop doing business with China under an emergency power. Now, he then said he wouldn't actually be using the emergency power, but that he had the emergency power, and he basically said, so go F yourselves, everybody. I have the power and you don't. I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty darn close to, to what he said on Twitter. Correct. And so, um, and now we're being told by his advisors, uh, including Larry Cud- Cudlow over at the G7, that, yep, the president does have that power. He doesn't currently plan on using it, but, you know, he could because it's within the confines of his authority. What? Socialists couldn't dream of getting away. Bernie Sanders couldn't dream of getting away with, by presidential edict, preventing American, American companies from doing business with a particular country. But that's how scary things are. That's how much of a monarch Donald Trump thinks that he is. That's how much of a king he believes him to be, himself to be. And that's, to me, the number one issue of all the issues. And there are many, and Joe Walsh mentioned most of them in, in his his video declaring his candidacy, you don't have enough time to mention them all. But to me, the number one primary issue based upon the founding of this country is are we a democratic republic or are we a monarchy? And I always thought it was the Republican Party and conservatives that would prevent us from becoming a monarchy. And instead, they are 
forcing us into becoming a monarchy because of this cult-like devotion to this liberal con man who's actually a socialist and who thinks of himself as a tyrant, and that's why he admires Vladimir Putin or Kim Jong-un or the Chinese. I, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that things have happened in this way. But this is where we are. And, you know, the Republican Party uh, is in for a whole world of hurt especially if the economy teeters towards a recession, because now you got nothing. The only argument you've got is, hey, look, we're in a time of peace and prosperity, and let's not screw that up. That's a, usually a winning hand when you don't have a nut job as at the top of your ticket in Donald Trump. But when you lose the economy, the bottom falls out, and that might be where we're headed. Now, of course, the Democrats have their own issues. Their leading candidate, Joe Biden, is a gaffe machine. I've always said he's a gaffe machine. I've said on this program on a once-a-week basis he's going to be creating gaffes that have people wondering whether or not he's capable of being president. There's another one that happened this weekend. Well, oh, God. Uh, yeah, this, one, this one's pretty bad. Uh, some of them I have I've thought were overblown in comparison to the hourly absurdity that comes out of the mouth of Donald Trump. But this time he was campaigning in New Hampshire. That's what you do when you're running for president. You campaign mostly in Iowa and New Hampshire because those are the first two states that hold a caucus and a primary. Joe Biden uh, has his entire political life. He has known that New Hampshire is where the first primary is. Anybody who knows anything about politics knows New Hampshire is the place where the first primary is. So he was in New Hampshire, I believe this was yesterday, and he referenced how wonderful it was to be in Vermont. Now, this, in the larger scheme of things, not a huge deal. Could be a slip of the tongue, although it's an awfully strange slip of the tongue. Having spent a lot of time in New Hampshire and in the Vermont area, I can tell you, oftentimes you don't know whether or not you're in New Hampshire or Vermont. They're very similar states, same topography. I get the the uh, potential confusion, except when you're running for president. There's no reason to be in Vermont. You're in New Hampshire because that's where the frickin' primary is. And when you're Biden's age and when you have a history of the statements indicating that you might be losing your marbles, this starts to create a narrative that is very damaging and potentially debilitating against anybody except maybe Donald Trump. Correct. Because obviously Donald Trump has far bigger issues, maybe even in the mental side, than not knowing whether or not he's in New Hampshire or Vermont. But it's not helpful. And I'll tell you what else is not helpful. This perception, which is increasing, and I'm certainly one that buys into this perception, this increasing perception that Trump is now very beatable. See, the, the more Trump is perceived as very easily defeated, the more likely it is that Democrats are going to take a chance with their nominee. And they're not going to be satisfied with old Joe Biden. Uh, if they believe that Trump is easily defeated and that number is going to continue to increase, then the issue of electability as an importance goes down. And that's Joe Biden's entire argument. I'm the most electable, and I believe that he is the most electable. But if, if Trump's approval ratings 
really are in the 40% range, and his disapproval ratings really are in the mid to high 50s, as some polls now have it, if that maintains itself, if that becomes locked in in the perception, then if I'm a Democrat, why do I need Joe Biden? Why do I need to bother with Joe Biden? I mean, he doesn't get me excited. He's a gaffe machine. His, his, he might have lost a step or two, although I never I thought he was very fast, uh, uh, swift of, of mind to begin with. But, you know, he, he's not the, the, the brightest bulb in the chandelier. So, so why do I need Joe Biden? Give me someone that gets my blood pumping. And that would be Elizabeth Warren at this point. And I continue to see uh, that the earth is moving, even though Joe Biden is in command right now in the polls. I still see the earth moving in a way that is opening up a, a almost comically large gap for uh, Elizabeth Warren to run through. Uh, I'm not rooting for that because I think Elizabeth Warren would be a terrible president and be bad for the country. And, uh, and she could theoretically lose to Donald Trump. But if the economy goes south, Elizabeth Warren beats Donald Trump. Uh, and I'm someone who is incredibly negative about Elizabeth Warren's electability as a female liberal socialistic Democrat from Massachusetts with a major uh, Focahontas issue because of, of her uh, claim to be a Native American. By the way, this week, she, she had the gall to speak to a Native American group, apologize for her past mistakes, and make a proposal offering up massive amounts of money in aid to Native Americans. She also called for the medals of honor of those in the, who were given to those in the Wounded Knee Massacre. In other words, American soldiers had, uh, back in the 1800s, been given medals of honor for their role in the, uh, the Wounded Knee Massacre. Well, she wants to revoke those medals of honor. And think about it. You know, since I'm sure she was told that her great-grandmother was murdered at Wounded Knee, who can really blame her? I mean, really, you know, if you think about it in that way, <laughs> who could really blame her? Because she has such a personal connection to the tragedy. I joke. But the, the, the reality is she's someone who has lied about being a Native American numerous times on important legal documents in a way that is consistent with her trying to gain an affirmative action advantage in her academic career because of her claim, which was nonsensical, that she's a Native American. And then she took that incredibly disastrous DNA test, which proved that she's not a Native American. And that to whatever extent uh, she was told that, it was a lie. It was an obvious lie. All you had to do was just look at her. Um, And it's an issue that I think would play very well for Trump, but only if the economy is good and only if he's in a position of strength. If he's in a position of weakness because the economy has gone south, then that's not going to matter. Focahontas isn't going to save him. And that's where we're headed right now. Uh, And this this is shaping up, and we've got a long way to go, but this is shaping up to be every bit of the disaster in 2020 that uh, myself and other people like me had been predicting for the Republican Party if they sold themselves to Donald Trump. And I'm not happy about it because I don't want to see that happen because I don't want to see this country turn into a socialist nation. But it's kind of hard to make the argument that, oh, my God, the other side is socialist when you've got a president claiming that American companies can't do business with another country because of his edict. I mean, come on, people. Really? You cannot be serious. 
It's just flat out ridiculous. But that's where we are. And, uh, and there's a, a long, long history that caused that to happen. I've, I've detailed it in my uh, eight-part series for Mediate, which I hope you'll check out. Again, uh, part eight will be uh, posted on the individual one pod podcast uh, uh, Twitter feed on Monday morning, uh, Los Angeles time. And that tells you the entire history of how we got here with regard to the news media creating the circumstances that paved the way for Donald Trump to be president, to continue to be president, and theoretically, as long as the economy doesn't tank, be reelected as president of the United States. And I hope you'll check that out and share that on social media when you have the opportunity to do so. Uh, as is always the case, we end this edition of the Individual One podcast with an updated uh, grade or reading or prediction on whether or not uh, Donald Trump will finish his first term in office. Right now, we're going to slightly adjust those percentages uh, to now 8% chance that the uh, increasingly crazy Donald Trump will not uh, finish his first term in office. Still a very, 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 very small chance, but at least a theoretical possibility of that occurring. And I'm going to maintain his chances of re-election at 42%. Uh, Again, most of that having to do now with two things. Is Elizabeth Warren the nominee, and does the economy go into recession? If the economy goes into recession, it doesn't matter. Uh, if whether Warren is the nominee or not, uh, she's in all likelihood uh, going to defeat him. And that number, if we were to go into recession, would go uh, obviously much, much lower than the current 42 percent. But that's where we are currently. And uh, as is always the case, thanks so much for listening. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share the show via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. And uh, until next time, which will be Wednesday morning, Los Angeles time here in the United States of America, my name is John Ziegler. Thanks for listening. This is the Global Story Network.